This is Steve. And John. <laughs> and this is Quixotic. Now, the funny thing is, is John is literally talking right into the webcam, and we're probably never going to upload video, so it's not going to matter. But those sweet, beautiful blue eyes of John's, just staring into the camera, it makes my heart melt. You should have married me. <laughs> I mean, we have, we just like we haven't even started. It's 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 like two seconds into it, and and John's already. I just, already you, you, you just know you wouldn't be having any problems if we were married. <laughs> I would because I'm not gay. <laughs> Nobody said anything about a romantic marriage. Yeah, it's still like I'm not marrying somebody just for like just for this for the sake of burying somebody. Like if I'm gonna marry somebody, it's I'm gonna no, be marrying you, somebody. You marry somebody for the lifelong companionship. Exactly. And, you know. Yes, John. I'm, John. You know you I'm my... gonna be a reliable lifelong companion. <laughs> We're not gonna drift apart. Yeah. <laughs> Your boat will drift apart. For like... <laughs> uh... <laughs> Jesus, uh, we've we've gone off the rails already. We haven't even started drinking yet. Um, oh yeah, drinking. So let's 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 talk. Oh, let's okay, drinks. Yes, John, what are you drinking this evening? Because you're drinking it out of another girly martini glass. So that's what I make my drinks in, unless I don't. Yeah. But in honor of what we're about tonight, I went with the Hemingway classic, the Daiquiri. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know how many drink daiquiris. Yep, in Cuba. Wow. Yep. And all it is is this is not simple syrup and rum. (laughs) Rum. It better be good rum. What kind of rum are you drinking? Oh, this is just Bacardi. Now, do you shake it? Is is this like a shaken drink? Okay. So real daiquiris aren't frozen. Yeah, yeah, it's not your girly, stupid no, it is lime daiquiri juice. that you get at some fucking cruise ship. No, this is lime juice, this, simple this syrup, isn't and This twenty-year-old girls drink on cruise ships. I'm sorry. This this is this is what Ernest fucking Hemingway drank. All right, Ernest Hemingway. This was the real deal. Yeah, there you go. A man who decided to commit suicide by gunshot to the head tells you all you need to know. All right. So simple syrup, rum. You said it's just Bacardi? This is, yeah. Just just a white rum. And don't, use, you, you, don't use good stuff for mix. Use. I, th- I think you said something like you had to like actually ream the limes on this one because you ran out of lime juice. Would you normally not do that? I don't do that? have lime juice. Uh, well, price-wise, I usually don't. Um, my margaritas call for four limes. Two for juicing, two for muddling per drink. And I usually just use lime juice for the juicing. I still have the two limes for muddling, but basically that cuts in the number of limes in half I have to buy. But I thought I had lime juice, and turns out I didn't. But there was three old limes that needed to get used anyway, so I reamed them real quick, or quick as I could. That still slowed me down, because that, that took about five minutes. That's amazing, dude. That sounds good. Um, oh, they're, they're delicious. They are absolutely delicious. 
So I had a bottle of wine that I opened last week, unfortunately, that uh, went bad. I didn't get to it in time, and the, the uh, wine stopper that I had in there failed. So um, I was, that's what I was going to drink this evening. It was my all just red wine. Enjoy some red wine this evening. It's been a while since we've done this. It's been about two weeks. Instead, though, John knows that I've been getting into the tequila a lot, and so... Um, there's actually a restaurant down the street from my house that does really great tequila, which I'll be moving away from soon, unfortunately. Um, but I still love, like, I've been falling in love with really good tequila, so much so that I've actually bought tequila glasses that'll be coming in the mail soon, so that way I can drink this the proper way, not from a spirit glass. Um, so what I am drinking is an Anejo from Fort, Fort, uh, Fortaleza. Uh, so it is a little bit of, a little bit more of a, it's, it's less than, um, what I've been drinking, the addictive, addictive tequila, I'm saying that wrong, and you people can slam me for it later. Uh, you can see it's not as caramel colored. Um, and it's that's not a as. Lot of that's almost like a reposado. Yeah, it's 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 yeah, it's 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 pretty uh, it's pretty piss water. <laughs> is that, is the like way my, that I would put it? I liked what I said better. Actually. Yeah, all right, that's fine. You can say I, I say piss water because reposado is piss water to me. But um, but you can still see like it's it's not too bad. Um, it's it's pretty good. It's it's I'd almost I'd almost put it to it's not as sweet. It's almost like a single malt, like so. It's got the kind of the bite of a single malt, um, but you can really smell a lot of that oak and vanilla. Uh, coming from it, uh, and not—it's not a really like strong tequila. It's not too bad. I like it. So I, I, I told you that story once about one of my bosses before, right? In the, the bottle of tequila he had. No, uh-uh. I could have—I'm pretty sure I told you the story. But so he was the guy. He liked yes, he yes, he liked to drink, but he liked his expensive scotches, stuff like that, like actual yeah. sipping on. You know, he wasn't just this, you know, chug chug alcoholic kind of. Yeah, I actually gave him a guy gave me a bottle of scotch once for my birthday, and I tried. It wasn't like the it was Lafroig or whatever. Uh huh. So not like super incredibly expensive scotch, but it wasn't bottom shelf either. It was a yeah. decent. I think it was like a sixty eighty dollar bottle, whatever whatever those cost. And I tried. I really tried. I followed the instructions about putting a little water in the glass with it and everything, and how all how you're supposed to drink it. And I even remember this guy who was a boss of mine discussing how you're supposed to drink scotch and how you're supposed to pour it right here in front of your teeth, like into your lower lip, and you let it sit there and the bouquet flows out through your mouth from from there and everything. I'm like, okay, so I tried all that and I'm just not a scotch drinker, just couldn't do it. So I actually gave him that bottle of scotch. I, I literally said, you know, I've had like... A glass out of this, and I just, I'm not a scotch drinker, so do you want it? And you can give it to him. Anyway, so on one of his trips to Mexico, he went to some distillery down there, and he ended up with some crazy Añejo that was, I want to say, there, what's above Añejo? There's one Nothing. above it, right? Añejo is Añejo, dude. Well, isn't that like a, a, it's a double Añejo or something? Well, it's, it's extra Añejo, so it's like, it's, it's like saying XXO, like okay. extra old. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so... He rem- he was saying this was a six hundred dollar bottle of tequila. Holy shit! And so he had it, and it was something he kept like on his mantle, like at his house, like every once in a while on a special occasion he would pour a glass out of it and have it. And he'd had it for like two years at this point. Not something you just drink through and get gone. It's something you enjoy every so often. Yeah. 
His mother-in-law came to visit, and he didn't get along with her anyway. He did not. <laughs> he, he was just, I do not like my mother-in-law as it is. She that went, woman drank it, didn't she? she? She didn't just drink it. She went to the supermarket and got one of those like white plastic oh, buckets no. of like the dispensing of the margarita mix that you just add tequila to, and she poured that into that and drank it off. And oh, he no. wanted to murder her. Oh no! <laughs> I would. Um, hmm. It was. A, did you ever watch Castle? Uh, no, didn't watch Castle. There was an episode of Castle. It, Nathan Fillion's character it didn't come up too often, but he appreciated a good scotch. And one of the clues to one of the murder cases in one of the episodes was this super rare scotch. It was known because it came in a red bottle and everything like that. Like yeah. connoisseurs and collectors looked for this thing because it was super rare. And that it was like that the, it, the uh, cut. What is it from Lost? That's a very special bottle. That like uh, one swallow of this is worth more than your. Like life, yeah, yeah, or something. Yeah. Yeah. And it, so it was just, but I think it was like ten thousand a bottle that they're talking about in this episode and everything like that. He's just his eyes just lit up when he they found it. So they're trying to track down this bottle. I don't remember the circumstances as to why it was a clue in the murder, and it ended up getting sold at auction to uh, this punk millennial dot com millionaire. So they go, they find him, track him down, and they're interviewing him, and they're asking him for it. And really, they don't need the they need the bottle. That that was the clue. They, they, that's what they really needed. But so they're interviewing him, and he just talked about, oh yeah, we drank that. And Nathan Fillion Castle's like, you, you what? Like, drink it already? Like, and they say, yeah, we didn't really like it, so we mixed it with root beer. And he's just like, <laughs> root beer. <laughs> And he just oh. looked over. He looked over at a Stonicotics Kate. I think he just, he's like, "There's gonna be another murder." <laughs> oh my god, that would like. <laughs> so this was you know, much, it's... much as I like mixed drinks, you do not put top shelf liquor in mixed. No, drinks. do not. Never, never mess. But see, this is why I don't like mixed drinks, though, is because I, I feel like. The way to enjoy alcohol is not through the use of like additional sugars and and flavors. It's it's the actual alcohol itself. Like each each type of alcohol and each each type of like distillery, so to speak, right, has its own type of flavors and bouquets that that they that come from it. And it's it's been like this one's been around for 125 years, right? So. This is like a, a music chord. Uh, the whole the key to cocktail making is balance. All right, fine. That's the music chord. This is the full fucking symphony. Sorry. Uh, no, that's the uh, tuba. <coughs> You're the one who played the sousaphone, you motherfucker. No, yeah, I didn't play the trombone. Yeah. <laughs> Trumpet before that. Trumpet, yeah. You played uh, the trombone too. Oh, for a little bit. Only for a little bit. It's because my dad was too cheap to get me a saxophone. All right, we're not going to talk about childhood. We're not going to talk about childhood pains and broken promises from parents. <laughs> we're, here, we're here to discuss better shit. All right. I didn't know that about you. Child, yeah, yeah. I didn't know so, Dad promised you a saxophone and got you a trombone. So what? What he didn't get me the trombone. What happened is, uh, I, when I first joined a band, uh, the saxophone was too expensive and the clarinet was cheaper, and so. 
Uh, he goes, if you learn the clarinet and you get really good at the clarinet, we'll get you a saxophone and you can play the saxophone. And I was like, great. And so I got really good at the clarinet and I was like, first chair fucking clarinet. Like I was like, you know, through middle school, first chair clarinet, I was the best. Uh, nobody could, nobody could fucking compete against me. Right. I don't remember you playing the clarinet. Yeah. Well, I just remember you playing the trombone next to Jake. That was because by the time that I moved to Aurora, uh, cause this is when like before all the childhood drama divorce bullshit that I went through. All right. Before all that. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so, um, essentially what ended up happening is, is like through middle school at some point, because my dad was like, no, 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 no. You're really good at the clarinet. You're going to stay with, you should stay with that. And it came down to the fact of like, he didn't want to pay for the, for the saxophone is what it was. And so I had the opportunity to learn a new instrument that was a trombone. And so I started learning the trombone. So, but at that point I could care less because my, the one instrument I wanted to learn how to play was taken away from me. So yeah, yeah I've known you since seventh grade and I'm just learning this. So really? Yeah. 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 It's such learned a bullshit. Some- like, parent like dude there's reasons i don't talk to my father anymore like this is one of the main reasons right here just out of curiosity and i, and I mean trivial like just we are look, bringing this shit up a lot like <laughs> this is you realize this, it? Is, this is not a therapy session <laughs> this is just, no i'm just honestly curious i'm honestly curious and i mean completely casual no commitment no like heartfelt discussion when was the last time you exchanged any words with your father? Like, literally just, hey, how are you, or whatever. Or when I left for California. So you haven't talked to your dad in four years? Six five? years, six years. Yeah, almost seven. So, yeah, yeah. Even, so, you, even, because you live basically in the same city as him again, right? We are not talking about where I'm living in case this gets out in the open. No, I'm not asking about where you're living, but you basically live where he lives again, right? I mean, I live, like... No, I live in the same state. Let's put it that way. Okay. That's, that's a little different. So okay, yeah, that's a little different. But I just mean so. But and you moved back to there four years ago. Yeah, three three years ago. Twenty eighteen is when I moved back. So it was March twenty eighteen. So you had not even said so much as a hello or a happy Thanksgiving or a Merry Christmas in six years. No, no, no. There's just no reason to. I know. I'm not. I'm not faulting you. I'm just wow. That's amazing. Yeah, and it's. I think, and I, I, and I think this is probably some of my relationship issues too come up because um, I'm not gonna lie. Like women hear this story, they're always like, "Oh, you're, you know, where are your parents?" Blah 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 blah. And then I have to have this conversation of like, "Why well, don't talk to them?" And we don't get into the again deep childhood trauma shit that happens uh, that that has led me to say that these are toxic people that I've kept away from my life, but. At the same time, I still have to have the conversation of, like, these are not people in my life. Like, I choose not to keep them in my life because they're toxic people. I said, hey, I'm not faulting you for it. I just, this was just honest curiosity for me. So, all right. Yeah. It is what it is. More power to them. I I, I hope that they're happy, healthy human beings. But I'm a happier, healthier human being without them in my life. That's all there is to it. Fair enough. All right, brother. So, enough about my deep-seated childhood trauma that we uh, decided to bring up in the middle of this. And so, I have a question <laughs> about your divorce. <laughs> John's got his pin pad just open, and he's just sitting here writing. He's like, "Hey, by the no, way, I, I just yeah. I just had to do that. I just <laughs> she was a bitch. What do you think she people was... actually want to hear about? Um, 
What do you mean? What like my divorce or no? Just drama. Like yeah. Well, I mean, you know what? That's funny. Is we're probably going to gain more followers because of that right there, and then it's going to drop off. If I could get, they're going to like. If I could see the stats of when they turn off the podcast, that would be the moment. They're like, if I could oh, this shit's over. Ugly crying in 20 minutes, this would go viral. <laughs> <laughs> when, you, when you offered to marry me at the very 20 seconds into the podcast, that was me ugly crying. Like, I was like, oh my god, my life has resorted to this. <laughs> John wants to marry me at this point. Now, now, I should say, all right, we're going to clear this up. John is my hetero life mate, all right? In the words of Jay and Silent Bob, John is really my hetero life mate. This guy, this guy is more brother to me than anybody in my family, all right? This guy has, has been through thick and thin with me. Uh, when we, we both live together in a house of unnamed people, we will keep it unnamed people, um, in which situations just, they, they didn't go well. And John and I had both moved out the same day to a new place. And it was it was just kind of like everything was fortuitous. Like we didn't have the best beginnings, but I can tell you that we've had the best like bonding out of all of the experiences we've been through. Um, and this is a man that I've been to countless Aerosmith shows with, and we're going to end up going to one more um, next year. Uh, so... By all means, like when when we talk about like John wanting to marry me, just understand that this is like a true bond of like like brotherhood that men really should have. So, all right, exactly. But this brings up a, a really interesting moment for both of us. So John John fancies himself a writer, and he's done it for years. Now, the problem is, is that John, like me, is lazy. Um, <laughs> so we're going to do something a little different. We, we've been boring our audience now um, for a long time with uh, uh, what we consider our favorite movie and it's just pop culture shit and stuff like that. But, but the name of this podcast is Quixotic. And when it comes to this, we are forever tilting at windmills. And I, I think... It, I think when, when I say this, like what I mean by that is like, we, we like to basically talk about irreverent topics and, and this is, this one I think is, is a great topic to at least, I don't know where I'm going with this. John, do you want to help me? Well, I just, when we first had the idea, we talked about like having a portion for pop culture and a portion for politics and like social commentary and all stuff like that. And we have had some of that. But we've mostly stuck to the pop culture thing lately, and this was almost an idea of now just using this time that we use to get together, sort of weekly, um, to kind of finally motivate each other to get going on a project. I said, I used to, I have had various fiction ideas in my head for a, a novel or everything, and I never got all the way through with anyone, never even got halfway let them die on the vine. I mean, maybe they're not dead. They're all, for the most part, still up here. Um, sometimes after a while, I'll just be like, oh, that wasn't that good of an idea after all, or something like that. But So I thought we could sort of play off each other to motivate. And yes, this is my idea that I thought of, but now I figure with you, I can bring you on board and we can 
collaborate and actually motivate each other to see something through, maybe. Yeah, maybe. And, and I think... Maybe. <laughs> what, what helps, though, too, is, like, I think we could lead... Like, through this process, we're leading the audience through, like, a creative process. Um, so they, they might kind of get... There might be people who listen to this in the future who go, like, wow, that's a really, like, great idea, and try to... Like do something similar or figure out, oh, this is how you can write a story or a book or something to that effect, um, you know, going through this process. And so, um, so John, so I should preface this, like, I think this has been something that's been on my heart lately. John and I are both Christians. Um, and I texted John one night and I was like, hey, dude, uh, I feel like I've been consuming too much and not creating. And when it when it comes to like a Christian, everybody who's going to listen to this is going to they're going to there's no way these guys are Christian. They're drinking and they're cussing and they're smoking or whatever they're doing. I'm, va- I'm vaping. <laughs> vaping. All right, but we're imperfect human beings, and that's the most important part to remember. Um, so, anyways, um, when it comes to all of this process, like the idea of consuming, like. I was telling John that my life is a little out of balance. I've just been so busy consuming, so busy on my phone, uh, reading what's what's on Facebook or reading what's on like the news cycle or whatever. And so I'm not actually creating anything. Now there's this thought process that men, uh, I should say, I should say especially men, and and I shouldn't leave women out, but men specifically were given a task of of creating uh, by God when when. Adam was given dominion over the earth. He was told to create, to, to put the earth under his control, essentially in ways that, that were still fitting to God. Right. So, so we not to be out of balance. And, and I, I think this, this kind of gets into that a little bit is like, um, it's in our, when when I, it is. Yes. We were, we were designed to create, to explore, to discover, to learn. Exactly. No, that's, I mean, any guy can attest to just going out and building shelves, right? Like just buying, like finding the right pieces of wood, finding the right lumber and then sanding it down and getting it to that perfect grain finish to then turn around and stain it to that perfect color. Like any man in this audience could talk about that and could understand that and could really grasp that, that idea of what that means, what that feeling gives you, um, when you've gone down that path. So it's it's really really important uh, to really keep this stuff in mind um, as much as possible. That this is as is it, it comes from the heart, and this is why uh, I know when I texted John this inform like when I texted John this, he came back and he, this is when he started saying that he's been working on this and wanted to see what we could do, and thought it was a good use of this podcast time uh, to because it, it's going to help us, and at the same time, it's going to help you guys. Uh, and it makes us accountable now. So we have something to actually <laughs> do. Like we, we're going to have steps that we have to go through in each, in each episode. So, um, that was kind of the idea. Uh, so I guess the first part is John, why don't you walk through the idea of, of like just rough outline? What, what is this idea? What, 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 uh, what, uh, what are we dealing with genre, all that stuff? Well, I said it'd be kind of a combination of fantasy and sci-fi. Mostly fantasy. There'd be some sci-fi elements to it later on. <clears throat> and I, I don't necessarily know where the site... I mean, people don't really know where ideas come from anyway. They, they frequently can point to an inspiration. Like, 
Stephen King pointed to the spaghetti westerns, and a, com- a combination of spaghetti westerns and Lord of the Rings were what planted the seeds for the Dark Tower series. That, but other than that, like that story, he just completely like I don't know where it came from. It just did. So I can't really explain where I got this idea. And what was interesting is my first idea was actually the fantastical setting. Excuse me. Where I had an idea of a world that the four distinct phases of the moon... There were basically four moons in this world. And the four phases of the moon were in the sky every night. So every night, one of the moons was full, one was half, one was crescent, one was gibbous. Oh, how does that affect the tidal waves? It doesn't. It just... It, that was one I just thought it was a cool idea. And... Because, again, fantastic world. It just... Uh, the idea of looking up at the sky and seeing all four phases of the moon in the sky at the same time was uh, just a neat idea I had. And, again, that's kind of where this, the fan... It's fantasy, not... Not sci-fi. Um... <clears throat> And then the idea that the edge of the map, as far as people understand it, was just this ring of storm. Mm -hmm. That nobody knew what was beyond it. Anybody who ever went into the storm never came back out. They just don't know what's beyond there. And so it was just this permanent idea of the storm. So my first idea was somebody sailing through that in a little tiny boat. And that they came out the other side, and the sky was basically a rainbow, like a rainbow dawn, if that makes any sense. So, like on the other side of the sky, it was, or the other side of the storm, it was dawn, but it was like a rainbow hued dawn. Mm. And that was the idea that I pictured in my head. And then I started to kind of craft a story around it, or a story started to form itself in my head around that idea. So it is based off of my like in my I have the name for my protagonist in our world, quote unquote, because that's where it comes in later. But I still haven't even thought of a name of, for him yet in this world. But I pictured of this very far flung, remote, isolated village of people that were very backwards and very set in their ways and just not wanting to do anything different, having no interest whatsoever in ever seeing the world outside of their little village. And outside of the village is a medicine woman for the for them. So she's their healer and everything like that. And because she's the healer, she's tolerated, but she does she's not accepted because she is an outsider. And so kind of an old one. And so she's raising this boy, and that's the protagonist. So at the beginning of the story, he's very little. And so as early the early first portion of this, he's coming of age. And he ends up forming a bond with the chieftain's uh, twin children. Sorry, you locked up there for a minute. I think you're still locked up. Okay, I got you back. You were locked up there, so... Yeah, so were you. Somebody's network went down. But anyways, go on. Anyway, so 
So he forms this bond with the chieftain's twin children, who are the same age as him, a boy and a girl. And as they come of age, the, the son becomes his best friend, and the daughter becomes his more or less love interest. Very small village, everything like that. There is another boy who is jealous, hates the kid, has a crush on the girl, all this stuff. And so there's that tension as they come of age, uh, all the way up into very, very late teens, young adulthood kind of thing. That's where the kind of starts to kick off. So, unbeknownst to the rest of the village, the woman has this stash of books, which in this world is more or less an alien concept. She has these books. So she educates the protagonist over the course of his life. Teaching him math, science, you know, languages. And it's in these books he discovers the knowledge about sailing and everything like that. And he ends up, he doesn't even tell anybody about his little project. He essentially, over the course of a few years in his young life, builds himself a sailboat. It's kind of a project. From his knowledge... And what he knows. In in this village, basically, they have to uh, hike a distance for water. Right? I was trying to picture how the scenario works, but how, how I saw it was that, that they had to go, like, basically down a series of kind of cliffs. Or not, like, literal cliffs, but just a very steep decline down to where their water is. Are, are we talking about, like, uh, Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker trying to milk a bantha, or whatever the hell that thing was? Yeah, like, no, that's not that, was... that kind of journey to, to, to get his milk? Yeah, no, that's not what I was thinking. But basically, <laughs> like, villagers had to traverse this treacherous, hard thing with buckets to bring water to the village every single day. So, where I got... So, where it kind of starts to kick it off is basically using what he knows and the things he's learned about basic science and engineering, things like that, is he devises this idea of building a, a system to bring water up to the village. And the chieftain would normally not have anything to do with it, but because he has the ear of the two chieftain's children, he reluctantly agrees to let them build it. So, most of the way through the construction... Uh, the other kid who's jealous sabotages it and there's an accident and the the chieftain's son, his best friend is killed and the other kid, he gets away with it or whatever, basically he he convinces the whole town and the chieftain that this was all because the chieftain's son is killed because of this guy wanted to do this and like I said they're very backwards and you know he gets all this blame and what's most painful for, for him is that the sister, in her grief losing her brother, joins in, and now she hates him. Mm. Now, I, at this point, by this point also, uh, the old lady has died. She, he's, he's lost his mother figure at this point. He knows she's not his real mother. She talks about having found him. And I want that to be significant later, but I haven't figured out the circumstances of how that will be significant. Um, so the entire village hates him, and they're basically probably going to kill him. So he runs for it, and he goes to his hidden boat, and he sails away from this village. And that's my beginning. So he's the first person 
for all intents and purposes, from this village to actually leave and go explore the wider world. Okay. So this is the first book or the first chapter? Like, well, not first chapter, but like first section. This is the first... This is the first hundred pages, if you will. Okay. So, if we, if we break it down, then... So, if we, if we talk about maybe the sections, and maybe... So, what's, every good story needs, like, a, a hero and a protagonist, and we always talk about the hero's journey, right? Now, yeah. in film, there's always... act the, one, if you will. Okay, so this... Or like, movies so, are, like, three acts? This is act Three acts, yeah. Okay, so we talk. So just for the heck of it, like because let's let's talk my structure, right? I don't know, I don't know book structure as well. Um, but if we talk about the three act structure a little bit, you have the hero's journey, which is like the hero finds himself, right, and that's all the rising action, and then the second act is conflict, right, and then into the third act we get the resolution. But at some point, the hero begins to doubt himself. Like there, there's some point where it's almost like the action, like the hero's journey seems insurmountable. He can't compete against what he needs. To, he can't do what he needs to do in order to, to win the day, slay the dragon, whatever it is. Right. Um, but then something changes. There's like the deus ex machina or whatever, right. Or whatever we want to call it. like the God in the machine. I don't care. Right. But something happens, something changes. And suddenly now the hero can overcome that issue and suddenly, um, do what they need to do. So we look at like Star Wars because Star Wars is a really good example. The very first trilogy is a really good example. The hero's journey, not only in the way the movies are built, like every movie is a third act, but the trilogy itself is really a third act too. When you think about it. And that's, um, I would say that's amazing in and of itself. Like when, when you, when you talk about Lucas shit on Lucas, all you want, but the man, at least, and, and Kasdan understood enough to be like, no, we can make the trilogy like an actual fucking, like, the hero's journey <laughs> throughout the whole stuff. Like, the, it blows my mind sometimes uh, how well that was actually done. It's so. how it's, it's, there's like a miniature hero's journey in the first movie. So there's the overall hero's journey across the trilogy. There's a miniature hero's journey in the first one. And then, well, I guess that's actually really it, because, like, there's sort of a mini hero gets to know himself. A New Hope, there is the full gamut of the hero's journey, but... But it's 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 just, it, it, it is just the hero in this, in this story. Like, it's just the hero learning who he is, right? And then fighting, and then realizing who the bigger conflict is, right? And then the second one is all the action leading up to it. And if you think about the hero's journey, suddenly Luke finding out that Darth Vader is his dad and losing his arm in many ways is, is the, this, this is going to be insurmountable. There's no way that I can, that I can defeat Vader now. Yes. Um, and then the third act, of course, (laughs) Return of the Jedi, and they kill the Emperor, and blah, 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 Luke gets Jedi powers, and... Conflict resolution, but it's just... It's interesting how the trilogy is a hero's journey, but the the first one is also, like, a miniaturized version of it. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Um, Okay, so, all of that being said, if we break this up into that kind of hero's journey, and we say that this is the first part, we're saying this is Act 1, so this is the hero leaving, and so, what we... 
sorry, maybe we should like kind of back up a bit because what what we're trying to do is outline this story a little bit more. We're trying to kind of okay, here's what we want to cover, right? So John put out a pretty good outline so far, but I think we're still missing some key pieces that that I'm not quite certain. What is the overall conflict of this story? Like, what will be the conflict of this story? Eventually, it'll be him versus the king of this world. Of the world that he is living in? Yes. Currently. Okay. What is his relation? Why would he want to fight the king? Because he's evil and corrupt. Now, King is evil and corrupt. Yes, of course. Because, you know, that's bog standard, you know, storytelling. If you want me to skip ahead to kind of overall what my idea of what's going on, that's kind of pertinent to... I, I would say so, because I, th- I think it gives us more to work on. Okay, so first of all, uh, let me say that the way I I pictured this as a trilogy, maybe we can all put it in one book or whatever when it all comes down to it, who knows. Yeah. But when I pictured the end of my first book, and when I thought of the con- the idea of anyone ever actually reading it, I wanted book two ready. I didn't want people to finish that book without being able to get to book two. Because I don't have a better idea, but I have no doubts in my mind that how I picture ending the first book would make people mad. Because it would be the whole, it was all a dream thing. It's not. There's more to it. But the first book more or less ends with, it was all a dream, and he wakes up in our the real world. Okay. And, what? It was all a dream? That's crap. That's bull. But there's going to be more to it. But I didn't want to, like, okay, book two is going to be out in two years, you know. Yeah. Because people would be mad and lose interest. So, but that, so basically. <laughs> what's a, what's a, what's a, uh, Ra- Ra- Rathburn or whatever is it? Uh, the, uh, the, uh, never mind. We're not going to go into it. <laughs> so, and it would be, so, book two would take place in the real world. And it's this whole idea of I want to keep it cryptic as to whether or not the fantasy world is real. Is it, a, is it a dream? Is it both? Is it a dream but it's still real? Kind of like these ideas floating through your head. Where, he, where I want the reader to doubt whether or not the, the other world is actually real. And ultimately, what it comes down to is the villain, the evil king, in that world, which is primitive. Like I said, I have an idea of like sailing in like maybe not exactly like medieval, like most fantasy, but primitive. You know, you know, basic, basic, you know, human powered technologies like a medieval setting, an age of piracy, like a you know age of sail kind of thing. Maybe they'd have guns, primitive guns. Well, and see, that's kind of what goes into it. So the villain, the king, in the real world is a homeless person. Okay. And he has he is another person that has this ability to go back and forth between worlds. Okay. So basically everybody has their counterpart in the other world that you miss. You go through your whole life never knowing your counterpart exists. But there's apparently now two with heavy implications that the old woman that raised him was a third one but more or less that the 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 protagonist and the antagonist are the only two people known well and actually nobody else knows about it but that they know that they can go back and forth between worlds 
And what this guy is doing is because he has no prospects, he has no life or value or anything in our world because he's homeless. He is, and he can't take raw resources with him between worlds, but he can take knowledge. So he's taking knowledge to the primitive world and using it to expand his power. So there is this this onset of newer technologies occurring in the fantasy world that's stemming from the king using it for conquest. So he's taking the idea of making gunpowder weapons and things like that to the to the fantasy world and using it to gain power. So he was he a king prior to this? Or was he just somebody that was... I, like, I what's his history? I haven't fully fleshed that out. And I don't even know how much of that you'll know. Um, but I think it's good like you to just, flesh something like that out. Because it gives you more... Like, while you may not do anything with it, ever. It gives you the ability to manipulate the audience in such a way... It manipulates the wrong words. Sorry, folks. Um, it gives you a way to, to kind of like... M. Night Shyamalan like people into all of a sudden like oh <laughs> right like this guy was from this tribe or maybe he wasn't or maybe he's like the future self of this kid or some weird like how, right how I've all I've seen it so far is so now he's left his, in like this village they don't know this king because they are so far flung so remote so isolated with no interest whatsoever in the outside world yeah they didn't even have a concept of a sailboat. That was something he invented and never told anybody about and kept hidden because they don't even really explore the land they live around. Um, so when he finds basically a, a metropolis, a big city, this is kind of the beginning of the expansion era for this king. So as he gets to this place, he learns about this king and learns that this king exists and that they're kind of in the middle of Yes, technically they're kind of in a golden age, but it's at the expense of other peoples in the rest of the world because the kingdom is expanding. Yeah. And that's kind of the world he this, he finds after he leaves his village. Okay. Um, so what is this, how, how, what is the connection from the king, like, the king and this kid ha- have to have some sort of connection, right? Like They won't in the first book. King won't even know about him. But what I and over the course of the first book, he won't be a kid anymore. He'll he will be he'll grow up. Yeah. So this this is kind of like it sounds like a little bit like as far as the uh, th- this idea of the like let's look at the fifth element, right? Like uh, these the the protagonist and the antagonist never really meet each other. They don't really know who they don't know that they're they, that they're they don't know each other exists. That's yeah. only in the first book. Basically, when he crosses over into the real world, that's how he gets the king's attention. Okay. Um, and he actually first... He doesn't get the king's attention first. He gets the homeless guy's attention. Um, Obviously, because the homeless guy is his, like, other, so to speak. So well, he's the king's other. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, so could, could you, like, lose, use, like, a, a sense of, like... I'm wondering if maybe the idea is because I'm trying to trying to kind of grasp or grok how people could exist in this world and then exist in this world and like how that like magic for lack of a better term exists right and I'm wondering if it could be like like twin like a like a 
everybody kind of technically has a twin. Yeah, in it's this like world the multiverse idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's multi- and, and that's in the second book more. And that's where I like I said the sci-fi elements of it. I'll still mostly consider it a fantasy. Yeah, because yeah. I'm not overly worried about making it scientifically literate. You know, it's a fantasy story kind of thing. But I want. I was kind of going for those elements, and I. So as I was describing it before, is um with the first book ending with him waking up and he's in a hospital. So in the real world, he's been in a coma for a while and everything like that. And that was I had the idea of a local uh, psychology professor at a university doing some experiments with coma patients, and he had gotten. You know, permission to analyze brainwave brainwave activity of coma patients, and with this person, who was one of the people he tested, he discovered a strange brainwave that he'd never discovered before, and he's trying to figure out what this means and what it means for the man's mental health and what's different about his brain and all this stuff. And at this point, he has woken up and he's awake, and so this guy's aware of the stories he's telling of like how he doesn't know who he is, he doesn't know this world, he's from another place. So he's still under the impression that this is some kind of delusion. And that's he said that's kind of the limbo I want the readers to be in, where they're like, is it real? Is it not? Is it a delusion? All this stuff. And the scene I pictured, I just kind of pictured it, is that he's kind of become obsessed with solving this riddle he wants to figure it out and so just he's working on it around the clock non-stop it's becoming this obsession to him and then one day he's in the the lounge the, the faculty lounge at the campus and a quantum physics professor comes into the lounge and he's gotten to this point where he's just doodling the brainwave on his notepad because he's just he's just obsessed over it and when the the physics professor walks by and looks down to see what he's drawing, he makes some crack about like, you know you know, stick with the brain uh, shrink, you know, kind of, you know doc, you know, leave the quantum mechanics to the physicists yeah, yeah, and as soon as he says that, this guy starts thinking about the fact that this guy that the protagonist keeps talking about how he's been to another world, that he's from another world and everything like that, and that triggers a like, wait, what did you mean? what did you say? You know, and he's like that 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 wave. That's that's quantum mechanics. I don't know why you're bothering with it. You're you know a head doctor. You know you're a psychology professor. Why are you dealing with this? Hmm. Or a neurological professor. You know something like that. Yeah, yeah. So so you deal with brains and medicine. What are you doing with quantum mechanics? And that's where he's like, is there something to this? Is this not a delusion? And that's from there I go. And so they kind of start collaborating and. And I sent you the one chapter because I said one random chapter that would, in my mind, be in the second book came to me in its entirety. So I wrote that, and that's what I sent you. So I know when I when you read that, that was one chapter of the second book, completely out of context, with you know no idea what's going on or what. But the chapter, that chapter itself, came together for me, so I wrote it. Okay. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting um, that that's the first chapter. Like you, you hadn't even gotten to the first book. Nothing from the first book's been written, and you're like, this is the chapter that defines it all. It, it came together. Like, my... No, it's, it doesn't define it all. It's just that was one of my scenes that came together, so I wrote it. All right, cool. Um, 
All right. So if we talk, so so we know then that the king and, and this kid will have some sort of connection. We just don't know where it's at yet. Right. We don't know. We don't understand enough about that connection. It's essentially, the king starts seeing him as a threat. Okay, but we know that that'll come in the second book, not necessarily the first book. It's just that the first. So, what's the conflict in the first book? That I'm curious. He basically joins a, a pirate ship, more or less. He joins a pirate ship. Can you? Okay, so can we like delve into this and a little bit more? So that's where you meet your hero's journey esque, you know, mentor character. Okay, so there, so there'll be like an Obi Wan style character that that touches him. Kind of picture like Obi Wan and Han Solo put together. Okay, so what's As what? A, what if? What? Why would you want to separate that? Why would you want to combine them two? Why not just separate? Well, you have the, the scoundrel, character, the character, and then you have the the mentor. It's, it's just well because he's an older guy, but it's it's who I pictured in my head, kind of that scoundrel with the heart of gold, so to speak, that takes him under his wing. Hmm. And that's it teaches him how to swashbuckle. Essentially, it teaches him how to fight. You know. So would you, so like the Jack Sparrow type of kind of character then? Except not crazy. That's fair. Uh, yeah, yeah. I just look at like Jack Sparrow as as that kind of swashbuckling mentor to the Orlando Bloom character in. Black he wasn't Black much Kings. of a mentor. No, he wasn't. But he taught him the idea of piracy. Right now, he but was using him. But he's but basically like, like you could almost picture him like a low level officer on the ship. Old salt, widely respected. Everybody listens to what he has to say because oh. he knows what he's talking about. And he and John, he takes this kid under his wing. And John Silver, sure. Like I'm just trying to think of like like for me like if I'm going to write a character or if I'm going to think about a character like I try to put them in some sort of terms, right? Like so when we talk about let's talk about the gunslinger for just a second. When Stephen King wrote the gunslinger, he he specifically had. Um, uh, 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 Clint Eastwood in mind as the gunslinger, yeah. like that was his. That was so, but it wasn't just Clint Eastwood. It was the man with no name. So it was like, yeah. you know, uh, fistful of dollars. You know, uh, uh, good, bad, and the ugly. That that type of character. Now it's funny because I I think that <laughs> the gunslinger turned more into a knight of the round table as yeah. time went on, and less of that style of character. So it's interesting that that's how he kind of started. Uh, and then it, it flipped. Well, his character didn't change. It just turns out that that's what he was. Well, how, I, how good no, of a knight I, he was. Yeah, yeah. It's subject for debate, but I, I agree with that. Like the character itself didn't like, it was always, but it's just interesting that that's kind of the model that he thought of was, was that, was that, was that character when really, when you think about it, like the man with no name is, is really like not even close to, what Ronan of Ronan? How am I forgetting this? Roland, 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 Roland Gilead. Deshane? Yeah, Roland Deshane. How, how, like, when you think about like Roland of, of Gilead, like that was his, you know, like he was far from that. That he was a very honorable man. Where the Clint Eastwood character really wasn't honorable. Um, it was all done for money, you know. Uh, yeah, he was. Yeah, honorable, you but could, you could, you could argue that point all you want. He was not honorable. I, he, no, I was just saying. I don't. He was Roland a scoundrel. Was, Roland was honorable, yeah, but it was. There's somewhere. There's a. The, you know the. Uh, the alignment chart. For no, characters, okay. it's originally a D and D thing. But people have made different things for character, and it's your lawful good, neutral good, chaotic good, lawful neutral. 
neutral, neutral, chaotic, neutral, and then lawful evil, neutral, evil, chaotic, evil. Yeah, yeah. And so characters, like, fall under one of those, like, nine things. Yeah, yeah. And the, one of them somewhere, those old demotivational, like, the original meme, internet meme, the demotivationals, yeah, where yeah. they just, they started turning into anything, like, not just demotivational. And one of them was, it was Roland, and it said, chaotic, good, saving the universe was just a side quest. And, because that's really, that, that defines Roland to a T. He's... He's not nearly as interested with saving the day as he is with getting to the tower. That's really all he cares about. Well, wasn't wasn't getting to the tower all about saving the world? Like, wasn't wasn't the point that's, of getting to the tower needed, to save the world? Well, that's what the point of getting to the tower was. But he didn't care. He he just wanted to get to the tower. Hmm. So I said, saving the universe was just a side quest. He was like. That that wasn't really his motivation for going. Let's put it that way. Well, no, I would. Hmm. I could argue differently, and that's a podcast, maybe for a different day. But I could argue differently. Like, I I had felt like in the very beginning of that whole like story that that was that was the point. Like he understood in order to right the wrongs that were happening, he had to get to the tower. Um, so it wasn't that the tower was the ultimate quest, but the but the saving. Like he understood that, but. He just wanted to get to the tower. Well, well they actually. Make I, a, I am. I'm really interested to hear this. Like, they I actually made a pretty big point about that in the books. Like, you, you're gonna. I, I. You and I are gonna. You know what? <laughs> we will do another podcast just to have this conversation. I swear. On the dark I, tower. On the dark. Well, because let's let's face it. What a what a popular thing to talk about. Like the, the we talked about Dune. Right, and we didn't we didn't want to delve into the, the movies of the Dune, of Dune. We talked about the books of Dune. So let's talk about the books of the Dark Tower. Uh, I think you have more fondness for the Dark Tower than I do, based upon how it ended. I was really pissed about how it ended, so it lost a lot of my. So many people told me how shitty the ending was that when I finally read it, and I had finished it and put it down, and left it for about two weeks before I like finally read that ending. Yeah, I was just like. Because there's a plenty, even heck, even Stephen King breaks the fourth wall and talks to you as the reader, saying, "Fair warning, stop right now." Yeah. If you keep reading past this, that's on you. Like the yeah. fact that even Stephen King wrote that in his book. It was, uh, but that was the epilogue. Like it, it ended. Well, no, the, it, epilogue, the epilogue was him basically saying, "Like this is how." No, the really epilogue was Susanna. Going back to the real world, back to her world, and discovering like the counterparts, like what I want with my story, but basically meeting a different Jake and a different Eddie and even a different Oi, and she's the only one that actually kind of gets a happy ending out of the story. Yeah, then, I'll have to reread it. Okay. So that was that was the epilogue, and then the coda is Roland in the Dark Tower. And actually, where I think people were so mad with how the Dark Tower ended, they didn't notice that there's one little tiny detail that, to me, makes it kind of cool. What's that? Um, well, I guess, you know, the book's been out for 15 years, so spoiler. So give it away. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, he has Cuthbert's horn. Or is it Elaine's horn? It's Cuthbert's. Cuthbert's horn. He's got his. He's got his battle horn. At the end of the book. Yep. And he didn't have that before. No. Well, that was why the reset happened, right? That's why. Because that's the thing. Everything makes so. 
he gets to the end and he's back to the very beginning of the first book and it's, so he's caught in this loop and that's what made people mad that it was just how could you do that like that's such a cop out ending but what it implies is that every time he does something There's is different something different yeah, yeah. something <laughs> different every time so <clears throat> so eventually like this story should end and, and I know even the movie was gonna like try to like was kind of like the sequel to the book um, but whatever. Like, let's not. Let's not. Del- we'll delve into this later. I think. I think there's a lot of good themes in that book. Um, but. But I want to. I want to stay on topic as much as possible with this one, and that's my fault. So. Um, all right. So. So if if we then talk about all right. So we we know the conflict then is what in this story. So. The- uh, basically, well, first of all, I, I don't know how much I want to deal with it, but th- he does find another love interest, but I don't know how much I want to deal with that uh, okay. and how much it matters. Uh, I just haven't gotten that f- fleshed it be, out. It could be like the Star Wars love interest where it's it's uh, uh, Le- Leia, but not really. Like At the end of the day, it really didn't matter that Leia and Luke got together or anything like that. As I pictured it, basically she's like the shopkeeper in a city, in the city, but I haven't really gotten past that. I don't really know what I want to do with that storyline, with the idea of Luke. So he basically signs up with this crew, and the crew, I said pirates, but they're almost more privateer, but essentially, basically, they work for the king. They are pirates, John. Just call them pirates. Sure, they're pirates. But the thing is that they actually work for the king. Okay. They're not. So, like, they're not. They're not navy. They're not formal military, but they actually are in the king's employ. And so they're mercenaries. Then, sure, that works. I mean, privateers. I, I, like I believe I said privateers. Shut the fuck oh. up. They're still oh. pirates, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Privateers were privateers I, were pirates with a government contract. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, but, anyway, but I like, but the name pirates are better. So sure. So, they're pirates, but they have standing. Let's put it that way. Okay, okay cool. Uh, and the captain is just maliciously cruel. I, I told you at one point, like, I want him, he, the characters, the main protagonist is going to get lashed for discipline. and Because I, 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 I have an idea for that to come into play later. But it's just over the course of this, he comes to find out that he is basically doing the wrong thing. He's... He's on the side of evil, if you will. He's on the wrong side. By being by hooking up with these privateers, pirates, yes. whatever you want to call them. Okay. Yeah. He realizes what he's doing is wrong. And that's the conflict of the first one. And that's in the end of the book. So he's going to fight his mentor? No. The mentor is kind of sort of on his side. But he, basically he tries to talk him down. Okay. Uh, it doesn't work. But it doesn't. It's irrelevant uh, because the captain essentially wants him dead at this point. That's the idea of like because he still has his little sailboat and he runs, and so they're chasing him in the pirate ship, and with nothing left. This is how I and pictured the end of my first story. With no options left available to him, he runs for the storm. Oh, okay. That so, I mentioned so earlier. him leaving the island then, or this 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 tribe, him the leaving tribe. this tribe is not him necessarily leaving and discovering then that he can go between these worlds. No, but literally the first the book of... is on this world. Yes, 
And then the second book is in the real world, and then the final book is going back and forth. Interesting. I haven't figured out how he goes back to the fantasy world yet. That's kind of one thing I haven't figured out yet. But so no, he yeah. finds he sails away. He finds like a larger like he finds a, a city. He finds more land. He finds the fact that there's other people like basically the first people he's ever seen that weren't part of his tribe at the beginning. So at the end of the book, so he's running from them. They're chasing him in the, in their ship. He's running, and to get away, he goes into the storm. And the captain is so filled with hate with him for him at this point that he actually orders the ship to follow him, like Ahab style. <laughs> yeah, and the the mentor character, who's kind of like the second mate or first mate, however you want to, on the ship, but he actually has the respect of the crew where the captain does not, because the captain's just a bastard. So he orders the chase, and the mentor character tries to talk him down, and he won't hear it. And so as he's running, yelling, barking orders to chase him, to chase him, to chase him, the mentor character basically just runs him through, stabs him in the back with a sword, and mutinies basically right then and there. Kills the captain, bam, he's dead. And he orders the ship to turn around and kind of salutes the protagonist like, best of luck to you. Oh, As so, he, th- so there's no real big fight between the protagonist and these privateers, then? Well, he's just one guy. Yeah, well, but still, like, there's no, like, you'd expect... So, so like, in my mind, the way that I was thinking is, like, that he becomes the captain of this ship in some way. No, or he, not like, at all. Not at all. No, so he runs for, with his little boat. And so then the end of the book, I kind of... I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I want to hammer home just how treacherous being in a little boat in a stormy sea is so actually kind of a longer long-ish description of this lone man battling these immense waves and just spray and rain and storms and lightning and just and eventually like i have a he passes out from exhaustion but the storm recedes because he makes it through the storm clouds and so far as anybody knows he's the first person to ever do it so I have an idea, if, if you'd like to hear it, though. I, I do. Like, the first book ends with him just sailing. Like, it's, it ends with him sailing into the... Like, you want you kind of want to lead into the second book, right? And it, and if you think about kind of like uh, like how Dune kind of ended in, some, in, in many ways, like, we knew it was going to lead to another story. It didn't just, it didn't just kind of give us, like, this is the ending, right? Or... Um, even Dark Tower did the same thing. Like there was, there was a good ending to it. Um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy ended with them going to the restaurant at the end of the universe, right? Like, so there's, there's all of these ways that you could still play off of this and say, like, rather than the first book end with this idea of him traveling in this in this small boat through the waves. No, that's or well, like no, he makes it through. That should be the beginning of the second book, where See, the end of the first book just ends with the wave off and the hero going. Not just sailing Good. into these dark clouds. But that wasn't the end of the book I had. Like, I, I had it as the end of the book. He does make it through. Yeah. And that's that's where I pictured the calm seas and the the, the rainbow-colored dawn and everything yeah. like that. And so, as far as he knows, he's the only person that's ever seen any of this. And he finds land. Which is New York. Okay. And he just... He, <laughs> yeah. And it's, it turns out it was New York the whole time. Uh, I'll, I'll name it... Uh, Oh, crap, I forgot the name of the city in Wastelands, I was going to say. I'll name it that just as a shout-out to 
<laughs> Jesus gave him a cane. He, he named the town in the gunslinger Toll as a shout out yeah. to Jethro Toll. So yeah, exactly. Um, Blaine the pain. Blaine the pain. But no. right. so he finds land, and it's just this beautiful, lush land. And he he land, and he you know gets off his boat, and he wanders for a little bit. Brief description, nothing too much. But he finds a comfortable place to lay down because he's exhausted. Falls asleep. And he wakes up in the hospital in the real world. After so the coma. Well, in this world, he's been in a coma, so to speak. But he's, so he's he w- taken over somebody's body, essentially. Well, I'm thinking or his, his body. Twin, his so twin, to speak. his like, other yeah, person. Yeah. So, and so, but there was something there about getting through the storm that allowed him to leave that world. You know, I still say that that should be the beginning of this. I honestly like. Everything that I hear is like this is a great beginning of the second book, right? Of like kind of re-injury, helping you to could, and I and I did and I did flat out admit early on that I knew this ending would kind of make people mad, but I yeah. can't think of a better idea. But it's kind of weird the way you describe it is you're starting a book on a cliffhanger, so to speak. Yeah, they could make it the prologue, maybe. I mean, that's fine, but but I would still say you end the book on him. Essentially entering the clouds, right? Like him, him. Like this is this is the story now. Like he's he's completed this edge of his journey, and now the second bit of his journey begins with the second book, and that is we pick up on the second book where these dark clouds suddenly he's he's entered the clouds. He's alone on this small boat. He's you know, and this is now now we're getting into the actual like fantasy sci-fi epic versus just the fantasy epic right yes. and so because each book has its own if you kind of think about it in this way is like book one is going to be straight fantasy it sounds like book two is going to be really science fictiony book three is going to be the blend yes right and so if you if you kind of keep those themes together as much as possible i think i think it'll be really helpful um, and, it, and, and in people's minds, like if they go, oh, well, this is like a science fiction genre versus a fantasy genre. Okay, then they know, like, and you can blend the two. It's been done plenty. Of, like Star Wars, we we you and I both agree that Star Wars is the perfect yeah. like, blend of fantasy and sci-fi. It's more fantasy than it is sci-fi. Um, but but it is kind of interesting. Like if you can kind of meld the two in that kind of way, um, you know, it, it just like, okay, this is straight sci-fi, this is straight fantasy, even though they're the same characters, the same story, just a continuation. Uh, it tends to kind of, I think, it, I think it makes things easier to kind of understand. Like, the unfortunate part is, is like, there's people who argue to the death that Star Wars is sci-fi, you know, and that's fine. Like, because it is, like, there's science fiction. Just because it takes place in space. Space. Yeah, and Dune, like you and I will argue to the death that Dune is science fiction and fantasy at this but the only thing that makes it science fiction at the end of the day is that it takes place in space. Yeah, and it's and that's where I almost don't consider Dune science fiction because it's Dune's just straight weird. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> but it's great. It's it is a I love I, I all I'm going to say is I love that story. That's it. I I I I would agree. I I don't really consider Dune to be science fiction because there's no real attempt to make it believable or realistic. There's no real concept of how space travel works. There's no spices uh, MacGuffin if ever there was one. You know, it doesn't there's no explanation to how the Bene Gesserit have their why spice does 
this for the navigators and this for the Benny Jesuit and this for everyone else and there's just no it just is what it is yeah I, I think I, I I don't know I, I think that he did a good job again this is like <laughs> John and I are really good about like just going off topic so um, but I, I feel like it did it did a good job of like of delving into it it just um, maybe to some people didn't explain it well enough so I don't know I just, there's no I guess you could say and my definition of sci-fi versus fantasy comes from Arthur C. Clarke where he actually yeah, yeah. described what science fiction is supposed to be somewhat based in reality or Carl you take, Sagan you take some concept and you extrapolate it out into a fictional world yeah That's I mean or he, take Sagan like Sagan's books are like at the end of the day they are a real world just with a really sciencey aspect to it like there's more to it than just space so, um, I still, you know, I, I think science fiction is kind of like, unfortunately, fallen on, on the trump card of uh, the fallen world, uh, the uh, dystopian. Like Blade, dy- dystopian world. Yeah, like Blade Runner is a really good example of that. This dystopian world where everything's fallen apart, and Blade Runner twenty forty nine just like went off of that. So it's unfortunate because I don't even think. Um, uh, uh, Philip K. Dick wrote Blade Runner in that way. I don't know. I never read it, but I, I don't. I don't know if he actually meant to, to do it in that, in that sense. Okay. So here's 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 what it sounds like. So we have the hero's journey. The hero leaves the island, uh, or is it? Would you? Is it an island, or is it just? A, we're just going to say it's a tribe. We don't know. If that's it's that's how it's. A larger landmass, but that's kind of I pictured as an island. Okay, so the, the hero leaves the island because of this ultimate conflict that he needs to get away from. At the end of the day, we really like at the at the at the at the at the start of this, and, and this is kind of like the Luke Skywalker kind of story. We really don't know his full history uh, if we think about it. Um, from the sounds of it, like there's still some some things from this history that that don't make sense. Um, this is, and, and that's fine. Like, but what might be helpful is if we flesh that out a little bit more, so we know where he comes from. Like, we know that where he's connected to the king in so many ways. Like, how, you know, um, and maybe maybe we don't need to. I just I just worry. Like, you get into you, what you end up doing again is is again you end up writing that whole like the god and the machine kind of situation. Um, you know, the ghost and the machine. All of a sudden, like. <laughs> the audience is going to be like, well, where did this fucking thing come from? It's like Superman gaining a new power. Why the fuck can he get a new power all of a sudden? Yeah, right? and I and I do want to avoid that. Yeah, as and much so as fleshing, possible. No, totally. <laughs> your best start believing in cyberpunk dystopia is you're annoying. That's too funny. That's 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 Jeffrey fucking Rush. That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. That took uh, you a second, didn't you? Yeah, that is hilarious. I love it. Um uh, that was uh, all right. Um, so as as far as it goes, though, like uh, so, yeah, it did. It took me a second. I was like, wait, you best start believing in what does he say? Uh, something ghost like uh, ghost stories because you're in one. That's right. Okay. Um, fucking Pirates of the Caribbean. The first one was still the best. Okay. I actually like the fourth one the best. What? Which one I is did, that? Uh, Stranger Tides. 
that and that's the one with uh, 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 Harvey Ian, or uh, Ian, Ian, Ian McShane as Blackbeard and Penelope Cruz. And I like okay. that one the best because it didn't have Orlando Bloom or what's her name in it. Kira Knightley. Kira Knightley, yeah. Yeah, I I mean I'm not every gonna lie. Like, every Johnny everybody. Depp, everybody got, in got, the fourth one was a scoundrel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's what I liked about it. I'm not gonna lie. Like the the whole thing for me. Like I, I love I love Johnny Depp's character. I just think he gets it's it's unfortunately overplayed at this point. Like Jack Sparrow is overplayed. The fifth one um, was terrible. Oh yeah, it was horrible. Um, Ian McShane as Blackbeard was really good, uh, but I will still Jeffrey Rush is still he's one of my favorite actors. Like Jeffrey Rush is one of my favorite. I feel like anytime I've seen Jeffrey Rush in something, I'm like. Guy's not bad. Like, and it, it tends to be the same character, or it tends to be like at the end of the day, you're like, oh, it's still Jeffrey Rush. It's not like Gary Oldman, where you just lose the fact that it's Gary fucking Oldman. Uh, but uh, you know, it is what it is. All right. Um, so we have the hero's journey. We have the we have the Luke Skywalker style story. Uh, hero, we don't really know who he is. We just know that he has some sort of power that that will get developed in the second story. So what's the point of the mentor in this story? What is the mentor teaching him? There will be fighting that comes later, and it's kind of he's the one who basically teaches him how to handle himself. Okay, so the mentor he will mentor come basically is teaching book. him how to wield a lightsaber. He is the Obi Wan kind of well, like a sword, but the so- well, okay, yeah, sword. In and book. he's like he will come into it in the third one. I don't necessarily know how. Yet. Okay. And I said the the earlier parts in this are the parts I have the most fleshed out. Okay, so the the idea then is if we're going to say that the, the the mentor suddenly appears in the third story, do these well, privateers say, still su- work? I won't for... say. I won't say suddenly. Okay. Well, do these privateers still work for the king? By the third story. Yes. So this mentor. Okay, so this mentor then either has to make a choice to either be with his protege or with his uh, whatever you want yeah. to call him. Yes. And I'm almost thinking of basically making it a tragic kill instead of uh, like a, ter- a change. Like he's kind of forced to kill him. I'm, out, I'm almost toying with that notion. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Um, so, alright So if we outline this story a little bit then We're saying Act 1 is him leaving the island Act yes. 2 Then would be him training on the ship And getting used to the new world Okay so what what does he experience in the new? And mind you, there's got to be rising conflict through Act Two, right? Like so, so he has to start feeling that something is not right inside of him. Mm-hmm. Like he's got to start. Like he's he, maybe he starts to see atrocities that these privateers are having. Yes, basically. Uh, you know, okay. So something, something. Have you figured that out yet? No. Okay. So so if we figured that out, then we say, what are these atrocities? So maybe. He comes from this weird backwards island, right? But maybe there's other tribes out there that are that are in the same kind of vein, and he understands this way of life of living with nature, maybe or something to that effect. 
and that effect, but just overall, it's the idea of the conquest, like just basically everybody's being completely subjugated by the king who's hiring these people to do it. Yeah. So they'll go to land and the captain will explain to him that these people are bad people because they refuse to bend the knee, so to speak. Right. And yeah, so he starts, he accepts it at first, but then he starts to kind of see maybe that things aren't exactly as he plans it. Right. Essentially. Yeah. Okay. So, so ultimately then the hero's journey, he's got to get away. He's got to do something to, to, so his hero's journey in, in part one is to then just remove himself from the situation, right? Like mm-hmm. he, he, he understands that he can't defeat these people because he's only one man against an army. Um, so so how would it be then let's 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 talk about like the end of Act Two will always come to a point where the hero realizes that he may not be able to achieve what he needs to achieve. So so have you so what would it be that he cannot achieve? He can't stop what's going on here. He can't, you know. Okay, he, so he can't convince anybody to stop working with with the captain. With the captain. So, what in what ways would this would this appear? So, does he go to his mentor first, or does he not trust? His, does he begin to distrust his mentor? Like, what is it? Like, in what ways does he kind of suddenly start to realize that maybe this isn't going to work out the way that he originally? Basically, he just becomes vocal to the crew. Yeah. So, obviously, that's the captain's going to have to want to do something to him, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, maybe that's where he gets lashed. Okay, so that's where he would get lashed. Okay. Perfect. Um, and so... He gets lashed at the end of Act 2. We as the audience are like, oh, all is lost. Maybe he gets locked away in some sort of dungeon inside of the... Uh, or brig, brig inside of the ship. Yeah, the brig dungeon. <laughs> gets locked in the brig. His mentor comes to him and tells him this is foolhardy, blah, 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 blah. That there's no... Like, you can't fight progress, blah, 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 right? So he loses hope in his mentor. And we, as the audience, lose hope in the mentor, right? Because this guy is somebody that we've connected with at some level, too. Um, as a very helpful individual. So, then, what comes next? He runs. He runs. Where does he go? So, that's that's it? Like, this, this is... So, we've had all this rising action. He recognizes that he cannot... Like do anything to convince these people that that this guy that the that their conquest is evil and that this is stupid, and so he runs. So he leaves the ship. Where does he go? Like he just leaves. How does he get away? What does he do? Like again, we have to have some action here. Now this is all the following action, mind you, but we still have to have some action here to kind of. I don't. Like, I don't know exactly up. yet. I maybe he could like free some prisoners or something like that. But that's really just on the fly. Like I said, you. You pretty much know everything I've so, so far come up with in my head. Okay, I, well, I I, mean, this is this is like the the brainstorming, right? We're just trying to brainstorm, get some ideas here, right? I know, but so. you're asking me so accusingly. So I was, no, I'm not asking you. Acu- really, you feel like I'm accusing you? 
John, I love you. John, John, Not enough cover Mary. this. <laughs> John, we covered this. Uh, you're you're my hetero life mate. I'm just honest. I'm just I'm just trying to get a good idea on like where like where the story is going. Um, so we can out like the the point of this is to outline it, right? So, um, are you bored? Yeah. Are you done? Really? Well, it is after midnight for me. Um, well, I don't know. How do you feel? Do you think we've got a, like a good enough outline to the whole story? Not the whole story, but I think we definitely. Well, have just like, to, to, to the first book. Let's say the first book. Like, I we only want to maybe not the first book, but the first act. Okay. Um, I think we have some broad strokes for the rest of it, but I don't know if we have an actual hashed out outline yet. Okay. So. What do you, like what should we do next? Like what you tell me what, what what should be the next steps in this in this I think we should try to write it. Okay. Like let's write a like the first chapter or prologue or whatever it'll be like an introductory one, right? Okay. Kind of a world describer. Do you do you want you've got this idea, do you want to write it, send me something and then I'll expand on it? I th- I figured I'd just tell you stuff and then you'd write it, but Oh no. <laughs> no, no, that sounds good. Okay, because you have—I think you have the most broad idea on what this is, right? Yeah. And then you can send it to me, and I can try to expand on it or try to figure it out a little bit more. So, um, prologue being how many pages? Like twenty pages, ten pages? Oh yeah, ten, twelve max. Cool. Yeah. So then let's do that. All right. So the next podcast will be John and me talking about the steps that we've taken throughout this whole prologue situation. We've written out a prologue. We have a better understanding of, of this world. Um, what creatures might exist in it? Uh, what type of foliage? Uh, yeah, I haven't you know, thought much of that yet. So I will say I'm going to, I'm going to jinx myself and it doesn't matter at this point. Cause I, I think it's, it's already jinxed anyways. Um, it, it, you were talking about this girl, about this, uh, kid and this treacherous idea of, um, like having to get water. Right. Um, and it, something came to mind and again, I'm going to jinx myself because again, this is, I feel like anytime I bring up a, <laughs> a female on this podcast that I'm dating, it just goes all haywire and we don't date anymore. Um, so anyways, this female that I'm dating climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, but she talked about while she was climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, she kept seeing this, this image because before they had gotten to, uh, to a certain point, uh, they remember coming, she remembers coming to a village and she remembers watching this kid having to climb down into this bowl, uh, at the base of Kilimanjaro every single day to go get water. And then having to then climb out of this bowl every single day to get water. And in her head, she's like, if this kid... And she, and she and this bowl is not like just a simple slope. Like, this is like a huge... Like, this is like the kid was sliding down the mountainside to the little lake to then get water. And then having to carry all that water up from the lake from that mountainside, right? And so this is not just an easy situation. And so she's talking about this... And she's talking about how 
she reached certain points on this on climbing Kilimanjaro where she's like, I can't do this anymore. And she chose to still keep going because that was the image in her head. If this kid at the end of the day can climb down into this bowl to get water for his village every single day and then climb out of this bowl with this heavy ass water, then she can continue to go to Kilimanjaro. Anyways, you were talking about all of this treacherous landscape that this that that these villagers have to go through just to get water for their families, and that's the imagery that came up into my head. And so, I'm just, and it might be even deeper than that. But I'm wondering if maybe that's the prologue. Is it talks about the trek just to get water? Uh, I, well, as I saw it, I mean, I, no reason definitely can't include it. But I was gonna just kind of describe the whole village. Yeah. I th- wouldn't you say though like that like that trek life there. like wouldn't you wouldn't you like it like it could start with that trek right and just like how it, it, as as a dra- like you're drawing him in there's the drama right there's there's the aspect of it and then as he's coming back from this trek you can then describe the village yeah like what a perfect way to describe the life of that village through this trek right and then. The coming back is like then it describes the actual like what the village looks like and how it feels like home and how through this long journey he's made it home. Like there's the witch doctor over in the I don't know <laughs> just spouting shit. But you does that make sense? It makes sense. Okay. All right. So maybe that's what we do then first prologue. Yeah. Uh, how, do you think you could you think you could write out a prologue to me and then send it my way and then we'll we'll get ready for it on the next podcast? You have to stay on me, but I will. St- oh, dude, every day I'm gonna fucking like tomorrow I'm gonna I'm gonna to text you. I'm gonna be like, how's the prologue coming? Monday I will text you. How's the prologue coming? I would expect the prologue on my desk by Wednesday at the latest. Okay. Sure, if that works out for you. It will work out because if we want to stay on target, John, and we want to do this, this is that's the best way to do it, honestly. So, yeah. Don't I, don't don't be the back, Hunter Thompson and me the uh, the Rolling Stone in this in this matter. I think I thinking back to uh, watching things uh, like Yahtzee when he was doing his uh, his video. Well, actually, he's still doing his game journals where he designed games, and he's talking about because he kind of briefly brings brings up writer's block for lack of a better word and he talks just remember like you know one page you know one paragraph one single word is forward progress yeah you know oh yeah and and I've often heard like if you have writer's block you just type even if it's just nonsense you just I am just trying to type out what this village looks like and I don't understand what the hell it's going to look like and blah. And you just type until all of a sudden something comes to you because sometimes like that's how you get the process started. Just knocks it loose. Yeah, sometimes like and so it, the the frustrating part is when you're looking at the blank canvas. So I can talk about this from a coding aspect. Like for me, there's a creative aspect that comes from the coding aspect and the anytime that you're starting a project like the hardest part is the actual like the blank canvas. I think any creative will tell you the same thing. The hardest part is the blank canvas because you're looking at this just sea of white and you really don't understand like what the sea of white needs to have on it. 
So, and I, I think it's the same for when you're writing a book, when you're starting to write code. It doesn't matter. Like it's all a creative process. You know, um, I think even like wood carving would be the same way. Like, what is this wood telling me? What is the grain supposed to be like? Te- like, how am I supposed to understand what the grain? Because like, I've heard it put that people who carve wood, there's a shape to the grain already that tells them what it should be. And that's how they come up with, like, that's how they whittle it into a certain project or they make it a small boat or so, you know, something to that aspect. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's how tables come into being. So, so I think, I think this is the journey is always like the beginning of the journey is always the hardest, right? It's, it's, but once you start walking, and you have that forward momentum. It's exactly right. Yahtzee is 100% correct on this. If he ever listens to this podcast, he will know that we love him for that saying right there. I don't know if I love him. He <laughs> makes me laugh sometimes. But... <laughs> that is too funny. But, but I thought that was a neat... Like that, when he said that, that stuck with me. Like, yeah. even, even a single word is forward progress. Like, Yeah absolutely truth truth so all right well we'll go ahead and we'll end it here then um because i don't think there's any reason to uh to continue on we know we know the next direction that's where we want to move so let's yeah, move in that just, direction just late for me so yeah, yeah i get it man i get it so all right brother i will let you go you do that you sir have a wonderful night i look forward to talking to you again soon I look forward to the prologue, and uh, and then uh, we'll go from there. So, uh, thank you, folks, for sticking through this. We hope that this actually uh, helps you and helps us. Um, and maybe we'll get a really great fucking book written out of this. And you know, I, maybe maybe I, I I create a website so that way we could just put this book online, and then that way it's it's distributed without having to have to worry about publishing it. You know. <laughs> People read The Hunger Games. I don't see why they can't read this. Exactly. Well, <laughs> I think the people read The Hunger Games because of the fucking movies at the end of the day. So, um, Well, they were popular already. Yeah, yeah but I, I have the same feeling about Harry Potter. Like, I feel like the, pe- the reason people like ended up reading Harry Potter was because the books, cause the, because the movies were coming out. It had nothing to do at the end of the day. Like, yeah, the no. books like, were popular, but, but I think people ended up reading more of the books because of the movies. So. Sure, but... You know, for all the crazy crap she's doing now, I'll admit those books were well written. I, uh, I think and, I read the first two books, and I was like, they're too much kid kid books for me. So, well, and they grow up as you went. Fuck it, not worth it. <laughs> not worth it. All right, folks, this has been a good night. This is Stephen and John. Thank you very much, and we will talk to you next week.